0: the gift of music. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn now to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 16. Psalm 16, written by David, the most prolific psalm writer. I chose this psalm because ultimately this psalm is about Jesus. This psalm is about the hope that we have because he is risen, and we're going to see this morning how this psalm finds its ultimate fulfillment in him. So Psalm 16, we'll read the entire psalm. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight, One of the things that is unique about Christianity is that when you look at every other world religion, their founder is dead and in the grave. Buddha died in 483 B.C., and as far as I know, he's still dead. Confucius died in 479 B.C., as far as I know, he's still dead. Muhammad died in 632 AD, still dead. Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, died in 1844, still dead. But not Jesus. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross, and there on that cross he died. That same day, he was buried in a tomb, but three days later, he came out of that tomb, out of the grave, alive. And so rather than being a religion whose founder is dead, rather than having a dead hope, Christianity proclaims a living hope, hope in this life and also hope in the life to come. And and those are the two things that we're going to look at from Psalm 16 this morning because Jesus is risen you have if you're a believer in Christ you have two things. Number 1, you have hope in life. And number 2, you have hope in death. And the question that I want to ask each of you this morning and I want you to consider is do you have this hope? What hope do you have in life? Do you have the hope that David lays out in Psalm 16? As you go through life, as you lay your head on your pillow at night, do you have this hope? First thing Psalm 16 teaches us on this Easter Sunday is that if we are Christians, if we are believers, we have hope in life. Psalm 16, again, was written by David. We all know David. David was one of the most um, famous men in the entire Bible. If there was a a Mount Rushmore of Bible characters, David would surely be on it. One of the things that that I appreciate so much about the Psalms is that they're very honest. They don't sugarcoat things. The Psalms tell life like it is. It is. And and in this Psalm, David is talking about the kinds of things that can leave people feeling hopeless. You hear people talk a lot about that today. They'll they'll say, Well, I have no hope. David talks about the kinds of things that that leave people feeling hopeless. And the first one is found in verse 4. You'll notice that David talks about the sorrows of those who run after another God. He's talking very simply about idols. False gods. Now, in, in David's world, in the, in the ancient world, the ancient Near East, people had what they called territorial gods. In, in other words, they had gods that were in charge of their own territory. And so there was the, the god of the mountains, the, the god of the crops, the god of the seas, the god of rain, the god of fertility. And and so forth. And if you wanted to be blessed by those gods, you had to do something to make them happy. You had to do something that would make them pleased with you. And and so people living in that time were, were very devoted to these gods. They they gave themselves to these gods with the hope that they would be blessed and they would be fulfilled. Now, children, we know that those gods aren't real, right? They are described for us in Psalm 115 where the psalmist says, they have mouths but do not speak, they have eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. And so in David's world, when, when people were worshiping the God of the mountains and the God of the seas and the God of the rivers and, and all these other gods, we know that those were not real gods. They were false gods. And we might say something today, like, you know, how how archaic, how how ridiculous, how stupid almost to, to, to go through life thinking that you will find meaning and fulfillment and happiness through these false gods who don't even exist. How utterly foolish. But the reality is that we may not have gods of wood or stone in America today. But make no mistake about it, America is an idolatrous nation. There are many things other than the one true God to which people turn today in the hopes of finding happiness and meaning and fulfillment. You can view these false gods as the as the sirens of ancient mythology. Have you heard of the sirens before? The, the sirens of ancient mythology were, were creatures from Greek mythology that were pictured as being half bird and half woman. And, and these sirens would be stationed on a rocky island, and as a, as a boat would pass by, they would sing out to the sailors with these beautiful voices to try to lure the sailors to their deaths on the rocks. And, and so the phrase siren song, you've, you've heard that maybe before, has come to refer to something that is very attractive, very attractive, something that, that looks and sounds really, really good, something that's hard to resist, but, but something that ultimately will destroy you, like the sirens of mythology. The siren song of our culture is to follow the gods of this world, to find your meaning and your purpose and your hope and your happiness and your fulfillment in the things of this world. That's what the culture tells you to do. They these these siren songs sing to us, don't they? In advertising, on, on social media, and they tell us find meaning and purpose and happiness and joy in these things. But the thing that the world will not tell you is that these idols, these siren songs will always let you down. Always. They will never satisfy. They will never give you meaning and purpose. They will only leave you feeling hopeless. They will lure you to the rocky shore where ultimately you will be crushed. Did you notice what David says about those who follow after other gods? The beginning of verse 4, he says, The sorrows of those who run after another god. How sad it is to live in a world where so many people are banking everything on the things of this world and, and finding hope and meaning and purpose in the things of this world. But at the end of the day, it leaves them with sorrow. Because these things always let you down. Money and pleasure and possessions, if you make those things your God, if you make those things your your reason for being, those things will always let you down. You'll never find true meaning in them. And, And David is right. David says, these will only leave you in sorrow. John D. Rockefeller was... a a man who lived in the 19th and 20th centuries. I think he lived from 1839 to 1937, so he almost lived to be 100 years old. And John Rockefeller is is widely considered to be one of the wealthiest people of all time. In today's dollar values, John Rockefeller had a net worth of $350 billion. One day, John Rockefeller was asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? You got a net worth of $350 billion. Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And Rockefeller's answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Is there a solution to this feeling of hopelessness? Is there a solution for us to proclaim to the world, to to tell them you won't find your happiness and your meaning and your hope in the things of this life? Is there something we can tell them? Is there something that we can find our hope in? What David tells us is this. He says find your contentment, find your joy, find your satisfaction, find your hope in the Lord. Don't listen to... To the sirens of our day that will lure you to your destruction. Find your hope in him. Notice a couple of things here in this psalm. First, David recognized every good thing he had came from the hand of God. Verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Any time that something good comes into our lives, whatever blessing or whatever joy that might be, it doesn't come from the idols of this world. It comes from the hand of our gracious God. And like David, we would say, apart from you, Lord, I don't have anything that's good. And, and secondly, David also recognized that it's the Lord himself who was David's chief delight. Take a look at verse five. He says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David, children, you might remember David was from the tribe of Judah. And because of that, he had the promise of an earthly inheritance. He had the promise of an earthly portion of the promised land. But, but David doesn't find his joy and his satisfaction and his hope in real estate. He doesn't say, I'm so joyful because this, this land awaits me. He says, Lord, you are my joy. You are my contentment. I find my ultimate satisfaction in you. Now I look at a room of people this morning. Most all of you profess the name of Christ. Christ. And you know that to be true in your own life, don't you? You know that your chief delight is not in the siren songs of this world. You know that your chief delight is not in the toys and the trinkets and the things of this life. It's not your job. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not your possessions. Ultimately, it's God himself. We know that the things of this life can be taken away from us. We, we know that we can lose our health, we can lose our money, we can lose our home, we can lose our friends. And if we place our hope in these things and we lose these things, we will be crushed. But as Christians, we know that, that that's not our hope. Our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is that God can never be taken away from us. And the eternal inheritance that he has promised us can never be taken away from us either. And so the first thing that can leave people feeling hopeless and without meaning is the things of this world because these things promise so much, but they deliver so little. And David says, find your hope in the Lord. There's a second thing, though, that can leave people feeling hopeless, Notice verse seven that, that David talks about the night. See that phrase, the night. And he doesn't talk about what most of us are doing in the middle of the night, which is sleeping. He, he talks about being instructed in the night. The, the picture here is that, that David is in bed and he's awake. He can't sleep. He's in need of some instruction. I'm going to ask you to think about your own life at this point. Think about when you're laying in bed at night. What is it that you're typically thinking about when you're laying in bed awake in the middle of the night? You're thinking about life. You're thinking about the past? Are you thinking about the present? Are you thinking about the future? You might wake up at two in the morning and and all of a sudden you start thinking about the past. Things you did that you regret, Things you did that wish you, you wish you could do over and you, you beat yourself up again and again and again over these things. Or maybe you're laying in bed awake at night and you're thinking about the present. And you're thinking, now what do I have to do tomorrow? How am I going to get through this week? I guess school assignments, work assignments, kids' schedules, things around the house. How am I going to get all this stuff done? Or maybe it's the future. Maybe you're laying in bed at night and You're wondering to yourself, what's going to happen to me four, five, six months from now? What's my health going to be like? What are my finances going to be like? What's it going to be like in the future for my kids and for my grandkids? Where are we headed as a nation in the future? Once you start thinking about these things, you you can lay awake for hours, pondering them, worrying about them, and, and the more you think about these things, the perhaps the more hopeless you feel, like there's nothing I can do about this. And, and you get fixated on that. And, and, and David comes along and he, he helps us to understand how to deal with the hopelessness that comes from thinking about your past or your present or your future. Notice verses 7 and 8. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David says, The Lord gives me counsel. You know, in David's life, there was a a number of ways that that God gave David counsel. He, He would send prophets. Maybe to David, you think of Nathan the prophet. You think of Old Testament visions and dreams that God's people had where he was instructing them through those means. Well, we don't have those things today. We don't have modern day prophets speaking new revelation today, but, but God still instructs us. And so as you might become hopeless about the past or the present or the future, like, like David, you can say, God, you instruct me through your word. You teach me the, the way that I should go. You, you teach me what I should believe. You see the point here, the, the point, the solution to feeling hopeless about the past or the present or the future is to meditate on and to embrace and to believe the promises of God. That's how we are a people who are not hopeless. Maybe, for example, you you wake up in the middle of the night and you're hopeless about your past because again, you can't erase those things from your mind that you wish you would not have done. You wish you would have lived your life differently. And and let's face it, we all have regrets. We all have things and choices we've made and things we've done that we wish we could do over. And, And maybe you beat yourself up over the past and you say to yourself, you know, could God really forgive someone like me? Are my sins too great? Are my mistakes too great? Is there any future for me? Well, God promises in his word, and this is how we overcome hopelessness in thinking about the past. Isaiah 55, verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The solution to feeling hopeless about the past is to remember God's promises to you. That if you turn to him in faith, he will abundantly pardon you. He will forgive all of your sins and he will wash you clean. Now maybe you lay awake at night not thinking about the past, but you lay awake at night thinking about the present and, and, and your life just kind of overwhelms you. So much going on, so much in your life that, that you just wonder, how can I deal with this? Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Trust him. He will direct you. He will guide you. He will be with you. Or maybe it's the future that troubles you. I think that, that many of us would, would probably say that that's true. I, I do wonder about the future. Am I gonna get some horrible disease? Um, will I get married one day? How am I gonna support my family? What will be life be like? I'm older, I don't really care about myself, but what about my kids and my grandkids? What's life gonna be like for them 10, 15, 25 years from now? If fear of the future grips you, read Matthew six twenty-five through 34. Jesus reminds us there, our Heavenly Father loves us. He knows our needs and He will always care for us. And while we don't know what the future holds, we do know who holds the future. And we can rest in that. And so I love this psalm because it's a it's a wonderful reminder that we have hope, don't we? Our hope is not in the trinkets of this world, our hope is not in the in the siren songs of this world. Our hope is in God. And and I don't need to worry about the past or the present or the future because I know who's in charge. I know who's in control, and he will never leave me or forsake me. But here's the thing. We not only have hope in life, but we also have hope in death. Most studies show that the greatest fear that Americans have is speaking in public. And the second greatest fear that Americans have is heights. So you can imagine speaking in public from heights would be doubly (laughs) scary. I think, though, that if everyone was honest, the greatest fear is death. What's going to happen to me when I die? Most everyone here has probably attended a funeral before. And most everyone here has probably been in a cemetery when the body of a loved one was lowered into a grave. And maybe you thought to yourself, you know, that's that's gonna be me one day. How can I not dread that day? How can I have hope for that day? Well, David gives you hope. God gives you hope. Look at verse 9. David says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which means the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. There's life beyond this life. David knew that, and David knew that, David would, or that God would not abandon him, leave him in the grave. And what we have here is a beautiful truth that we confess together almost every Sunday night from the Apostles' Creed, and that is, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Christian, God's not going to leave you in the grave. He's not going to allow, just allow your body to rot away forever. One day, when, when Jesus returns, your body will be raised from the dead along with the bodies of all believers. And they will be reunited with your soul and you will be given a glorious resurrection body like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. No more back pain, no more heart disease, no more cancer, no more chronic conditions. No more sin. Now this is not a promise that is given indiscriminately to all people. I'm going to tell you this morning that if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this promise is not for you. You must believe in him. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must embrace him as Lord and Savior. This is a promise only to those who are trusting in Christ, because you see, ultimately, Psalm 16 finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Take your Bibles for just a moment and go to the New Testament to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching a, a powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. It's a sermon that the Holy Spirit used to bring 3,000 people to saving faith. Imagine that. 3,000 people. One-fifth the population of Ripon comes to know Christ in a single sermon. Look at verse 22 of Acts 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's Good Friday. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then we have the words of Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. It's marvelous. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter says, Peter interprets, right? He interprets Psalm 16 for us. Peter says, ultimately, Psalm 16 is not about David. It's about Jesus. Children, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was put to death on a Roman cross, and they took his body, and they buried it in a tomb. But three days later, the most glorious thing happened. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus swallowed up death forever. Not just for himself, but for you. For all who would believe in him. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is the first fruits. In other words, Jesus is the the guarantee. His resurrection is the guarantee that one day we will be raised from the grave. Christian, that's your future. Now, if Jesus is not risen... We're all wasting our time. But he is risen. And since he is risen, everyone must believe in him to live. Maybe you've heard someone say before, death is undefeated. Actually, it's not undefeated. Jesus defeated it 2,000 years ago. And because he defeated death and because we are united to him, we one day will defeat death as well. We live in a very real sense in a very hopeless world. Look at all the things in this life that people are trying to find meaning in and hope in and purpose in and fulfillment in. And and maybe you're here this morning and and you say, That's me. Trying to find meaning in in this relationship or this occupation. I'm trying to find meaning and purpose in those, those siren songs that are calling to me with a beautiful voice Come, come and find purpose here. And now you think to yourself, Those things aren't delivering for me. At the end of the day, like John Rockefeller, I I need just a little bit more. And it's never enough. I direct you this morning to the only one who can give you real hope. It's not the things of this life that in the end will just let you down. It's not in in worrying and being anxious about the future because that's a never-ending treadmill. And death, death seems so final. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is risen. And because he is risen, we have hope, don't we? And we must proclaim this hope to this world. We must go out into this world and show this world that we have hope. And that hope is not here. That hope is in Christ. It's wonderful to gather on this day and and together to sing and to celebrate and to rejoice in the resurrection. But out there, there's a world of hopeless people. God has commissioned us to go out and to give this message of hope to them. We can tell this world that we have hope in life. It's not in my money. It's not in my occupation. It's not in my relationships. It's hope in Jesus. And we can tell this world as well that we have hope in death as well. That when we leave this life Because Jesus is risen, he will take us to himself. And so let's remember this morning not only that we are to celebrate what happened 2,000 years ago today, but let us also remember the task the church has been given to be a light in a dark world and to bring this message of hope to those who do not have it. May we do it for God's glory And may we do it with exceeding joy because we know what Christ has won for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that you give to us in your word. We thank you how we can see that ultimately Psalm 16 is fulfilled in Jesus, that he is risen. That he has conquered death, and because we are united to him, we will conquer death as well. Lord, this this good news gives to us unspeakable comfort. And Lord, we know that there are people that we talk to and come across and interact with all the time who don't have this hope. Give us hearts for them, give us a burden for them, and give us opportunities to declare to them the hope that is ours, that Jesus is risen. He is risen so that we may have life. We pray.